Aviation Podcast is presented as entertainment, not flight instruction. Though some participants are certified flight instructors, their comments, opinions, and discussions of flying techniques are theirs alone. None of the co-hosts or guests on this podcast are acting as your flight instructor. Please consult your own CFI for guidance on your specific flight training, aeronautical knowledge, and aircraft operation. This is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Episode 166, Avionics for those that are fascinated with radio. Coming up next in the Stuck Mike Avcast. Now here are your co-hosts, Victoria Newville, Eric Crump, Larry Overstreet, Russ Rosleski, Tom Frick, Rick Felty, and Carl Valeri. Well, folks, welcome to the Stuck Mike Avcast. This is Carl Valeri, and I am joined by Jim Goldman, Pilot Jim G, on Twitter to talk about some really interesting radio aspects of your airplane. And I think that's something that a lot of people are into that are in aviation is ham radio, etc. And we're going to talk about that. We have Jim G with us. But before we do that, a couple of announcements. Let's do the pre-flight. Number one, our sponsor, Aviation Careers Podcast. Make sure you check out their scholarships and career coaching and also the free podcast that they have on aviation careers, all aviation careers, general aviation through the airlines. Also, don't forget to visit us on Facebook. On Facebook, we've been posting the different events that we are at. And of course, we just finished up uh, you know, not too long ago, the Sport Aviation. And thanks so much for coming out to visit. And thanks for the comments on how you enjoyed uh, listening to the different interviews from the Sport Aviation show. Show. Now entering cruise flight. Without further ado, we have here Jim Goldman, pilot Jim G on Twitter. Welcome to the podcast again. Carl, it's great to be here with you, and it's great to be in person. <laughs> and and this is, oh, we should, gosh, you know, we need to mention where we are. Absolutely. We are right next to Sun and Fun on the grounds of Polk State College overlooking the lovely Lakeland Linder Airport. It's been wonderful living out here because I get to meet people like you. And it's always, it's been great to know you, and we've been good friends for a long, long time. Long time, yeah. And I got a chance to come down to Lakeland uh, off-season, as it were, not during the big fly-in, so we have a chance to sit down and talk. <laughs> well, actually, off-season for Sun and Fun, there is no such thing. They have events all year long, all year don't they? Long. And that's what people don't realize. They have, uh, they just had a barbecue. Uh, they used to be called When Pigs Fly South. Uh, it's a Kansas City barbecue competition. They also have a kids' queue where children can go out there and test their skills at barbecue. And they have many different events that are on, on the grounds of Sun and Fun. Yep. And they raise a lot of money for charity. They do. It? The last I heard heard they uh, rent the grounds out for 70, 70, 70. events per year. Isn't yeah. that amazing? That is amazing. 70, and, and some are really big. Some are big, and many of them don't have anything to do with aviation, but the money from the facility rental goes back into aviation education, so it's a good cause. Yeah, so come by and check out the barbecue, and uh, and actually some of that goes towards aviation, yep. towards scholarships, uh, towards helping fund education and yep. fund the schools around here That's right. that are on the campus, so Sun and Fun. Uh, Sun and Fun really has done a lot and uh, has done quite a bit for us here at Polk State College. Of course, we appreciate all that they've donated towards our flight team. Uh, one of the things that uh, I don't think people know about Jim Goldman is, and I know he's been on the show a couple times, especially jumping in there the one time on, on Sun and Fun Radio, that was awesome, is that he's really into radio. Uh, before we could talk about avionics for people that are into radio, because I know a lot of our listeners are into ham radio, etc., and uh, some people that listen actually are instructors too. Uh, one of the things that I think that we, we need to look at is there is something that is, is is really foreign to us as far as the radios are concerned. That's a thing called a transponder. And you've done a lot of different seminars, especially focused around avionics and transponders. Before we get started talking about all that, tell us a little bit about your background. I know you've been doing a lot of flying, but also you've been presenting, I think, here at Sun and Fun or, or at, uh, up in Oshkosh. Um. Well, I've done presentations at both, but okay. I, the background for this talk, what we're going to talk about today on avionics, comes from my interest in radio as a, not as a professional, but as an amateur, an amateur radio, what they call amateur radio operator. I have my ham radio license. Uh, I got that when I was 11 years old. Wow. So it goes back a long way with me before aviation. 
And the people who are in ham radio, in amateur radio, are interested in the radio technology. So this presentation that I did, and we can talk a little bit about it, was for people who are experts in radio, but don't know a lot about aviation. So it's the flip side to what we talk about with pilots, where we talk about the aviation aspects and we only mention radio in passing. Right. So, so the emphasis is a little different. So today we're going to kind of focus on those parts of your presentation that us pilots would be interested in yeah. and get a little more technical than we normally would and learn some really cool facts I know you were sharing with me earlier. Going back to Sun and Fun, you said yeah. that uh, you've done some presentations there. You're also very much involved in volunteering at F Sun and Fun, uh, I think in the hospitality part of it. So I, tell us a little bit about that and, and maybe give us some light as to what people can do other than aviation. There's lots of different things at Sun and Fun they can help with. I'm, I'm happy to be a volunteer at Sun and Fun because Sun and Fun is a great cause, as we just mentioned. Um, I help out with the hospitality group, the hospitality volunteers of, of which there are dozens of uh, dozens uh, are really hardworking people who want to make you feel at home when you come to a sun and fun event, especially the big fly in in April. And I started with that group oh, three, four, five years ago, something like that. And I think it's important to make people feel welcome and at home when they come to Sun of Fun because it is a big event and newcomers sometimes don't know their way around. And even people who've been there many times don't know everything on the grounds. So we try to help people out. We also provide a couple of, how, how shall I say, upgrades to the experience. <laughs> Would you like to hear about those? I, as a matter of fact, I, I've, I heard about this thing. I was... Uh, uh, 365 or I don't know what I can't remember the number but I think it's changed recently hasn't it uh, it was actually something where you could go into a tent and get some meals and I think it was even air conditioned right on the grounds and watch right on the, the air show and that was really cool but I think things have changed a little bit a little haven't bit. they so, so, so we tell have, us about that first you know sure. what I'm talking about and get some clarity there for, uh, this is this is especially for people who are considering coming to the Sun and Fun fly-in uh, we have three now three major levels of upgrades to your experience uh, at starting from a $20 per day preferred air show seating area where we it's hosted and there are people there to help you private restrooms a chair tables free water and a seat at the front of the flight line nice little upgrade especially if you have little ones who you need to watch they need a place to sit preferred air show seating and that's right by the announcer stand Next, we have the 927 Club, which I think you... The 365 927. <laughs> I knew I was close. <laughs> you, you better watch out with Carl. He's an airline pilot who doesn't know his way around the compass. Yeah. I think it's left as least, right as... Anyway, That's okay. that. <laughs> The 927 Club is a private tent. It's air-conditioned. Food and beverages are served. It is also hosted. It's on the side of the flight line right by the Warbird ramp. And that's been going... A I want to say about six, seven years now. It's a few hundred dollars, and there are different packages, whether you come one day or the whole week, and but there are a few hundreds of dollars, the different packages. And that money partially pays for the food, but partially pays for sun and fun. So that's been a very nice upgrade, especially if you're a, a person who has guests, if you're an exhibitor, or if you're involved with a business, or you have clients at sun and fun, and you want to take them into a nice air-conditioned club, the 927 Club has really been a nice experience for those people. So now we're going to up that a little bit. We're going to we we're going to go a little bit further, and we're going to go. We're going to up the experience and take it to the next level. The Sun and Fun wanted to recognize the larger donors, the people who um, give money to the organization because they believe in its educational mission beyond just a meal and beverages. So this year they've announced the Ace Ambassador Flight Deck, which is called a new five-star club venue for 2018. And in addition to food and beverage, will include free parking, your own personal shuttle, uh, storage for your belongings, real personal assistance. These are for the larger donors. And this may not be for everybody, it starts at $7,500, and then the, the regular full level is $10,000. So to give a little more color to that donor, 
those those monies by the way there's there's quite a few donors that that give that type of money it goes to providing education inspiration for the younger folks and everybody in aviation exactly exactly and the reason we call this i, I let me let me back up the reason sun and fun calls it <laughs> the ace ambassador flight deck is because the people who give this kind of money are the ambassadors for sun and fun they're the people who can go out and explain why they support this organization at that level and and we want to enlist them not just as donors but as spokesmen who can attract other donors so it, it's a real good development in sun and funds overall recognition of the donors Backing up to what you said about this is what we, and corrected yourself, this is what Sun and Fun, it truly, we are Sun and Fun. It, it is the volunteers. We all comprise Sun and Fun. And uh, it truly is a we. You know, this is what, what we are doing. Uh, there's, there's a group effort, and it does take a, a huge contingent of volunteers to make it happen. And that's the collective we were talking about. So a little trivia question, Carl. Uh-oh. How many volunteers volunteer at Sun and Fun? Let's put Carl on the spot. Yeah, I used to know this number. 7,500? 3,500. Oh, close. But that's that's a, that's a lot of humanity. <laughs> five hundred. Yeah, there's a lot of humanity. It's quite a few people. That's quite a few Plus people. Plus all the other folks that come in that, that work here. And yep. uh, it's it's pretty amazing uh, the amount that gets done on Sun and Fun. But we, we don't want to talk everything about Sun and Fun. Just no. we need to remember that this is that for those folks that are donors, and I know they're out there and they listen on this podcast, is the fact that you can actually, if you have donated a certain amount of money up to, I think, what, what was the amount again? It was Well, it, if you'd like, you know, if you're at the $20 level, we have an amenity for you. If you're in a few hundred dollars, we have an amenity f- to also recognize your contribution. And if you're somebody who can give $10,000 to education for young people in aviation, we would really like to thank you. That's And we would like to f- thank those folks uh, that give all amounts of money. We really appreciate it. Couldn't be done without you. And again, thank all the volunteers and some of those that listen here today. Um, going back to what we were talking about with avionics uh, and uh, and non-pilots, uh, or excuse me, I should say people that are into aviation, into radio, that are also into aviation, they love to geek out on this stuff. They love to find out. Uh, you know, what's in my radio? Uh, what what am I speaking at? What is a single sideband, et cetera? What am I talking about, first of all? So we're not going to get too deep in the woods there, but we are going to get deep enough about your presentation on, uh, you know, avionics for, for people that are into radio. Yep. And, and one of the things that I want to do is give some color to things like our transponders and that type of thing. Sure. Um, I'd like to talk... Uh tell you a little bit about the transponder. Uh, we can talk about what pilots pretty much know, which is very little, right. and then move on from there and give a little more depth to it. And this will give you an illustration of the kind of things that the radio people would like to know. Um, they'd like to know more of the nuts and bolts of it. And uh, by the way, there's a tremendous amount of crossover not surprisingly, because radio people are very technical, airplane people are very technical, so you do find a lot of uh, pilots who are ham radio operators and a lot of ham radio operators who are pi- pilots, or at least have an interest in aviation. Right. So none of this should be a, a big surprise. No, it isn't. As a matter of fact, a lot of the folks that I'm friends with in aviation, they tell me, why don't you have your ham license? Why don't you get into amateur radio? A question I asked. That's what he asked, too. <laughs> So here's an interesting, let's talk about the transponder for a minute, something we all recognize. And I think pilots mostly know that it's called a mode C transponder and that it has something to do with air traffic control and radar. And and a pilot will, uh, if they're well-trained, will tell you it has to be checked by an authorized uh, repair shop every two years and so forth. But what is a transponder? What is it doing? How does it work? Your pilot doesn't need to know this, but the radio people want to know this. Radar is the basis for air traffic control. Until we fully move to a GPS system, radar has been the basis of traffic control since World War II. Radar works by sending a radio wave out into, the, into space, into the atmosphere. It bounces off of a metal object and returns back to the person who sent it. It's just like an echo. It's as if you spoke into a canyon and heard yourself echo back. That's what, it, that's what radar does. And I think we all know that. 
But when, if all I do is send out a radar ping to a piece of metal, a metal object in the sky, and I get a ref, or an echo back, I know I've got a flying object, but I can't identify it. It is therefore at that point an unidentified flying object. What we want to do now for the purpose of air traffic control is identify that object. So we have a device called a transponder, which is an abbreviation of transmitter responder. Did you know that? Transmitter responder, yes. Okay, good. It's a transmitter responder that replies to those echo interrogations. This was based on interrogate friend or foe in the military, because in the, mili the military were the first people to use radar to identify flying objects. And of course, you need to know, before you shoot it down, you need to know, is that flying object friendly or not? <laughs> you know, Jim, I, I think transponder to me, though, means, uh, you know, the sun pass that I have. They keep telling me about this transponder. Is there any difference? There's a difference in the technology, but it's essentially the same thing. Because when you drive your sun pass or easy pass for those of us in the Northeast through the toll booth, the toll booth sends out a signal which triggers your device to respond. So it is a transmitter responder, transponder. It's, it's the same idea. It's not using radar, different technology, but it's the same idea. Um, the transponder works at 1090 megahertz, 1090. So that's um, 1.09 gigahertz for those of you who are mathematically inclined. And it uses... Um, Amplitude modulation, good old AM, is how the signal works. And the transponder returns information, and the pilots all know that you have a four-digit code in the cockpit. You have those four little dials. Well, in the modern cockpits, you might have a keypad entry. And we know that we're assigned a squawk code by air traffic control. So, uh, Carl, I want you to squawk uh, 3456 today. And you dial in 3456 on the transponder. What does that do? What does that do? Well, air traffic control knows who you are. They know you're Carl, and they know your code is 3456. When the echo comes back from the radar reflection of your airplane, they also get a trans, they receive a transmission from your transponder that says 3456. And they look up in their database who is 3456, and they can see it's Carl, and then on their little screen, they can see that that indicator of where you're located, so now they know where you are and who you are. So it's just, it's not dumb, it's just sending, it's sending back something with some information, which is great. It's, it's encoding that information sometimes. It, it does. It? Have you ever wondered why the digits only go zero to seven on a transponder? Why is that? Because back in the day, um, it, transmitting complex information was just a little bit beyond the technology. So, within the scope of what was available at the time, they could only transmit 12 bits, 12 binary digits of information. And you encode this as four digits from zero to seven, or four, uh, four digits that can be any of eight places. And for the, again, those who are mathematically inclined, eight to the fourth is also two to the 12th, which is 4096. So there really are only 4,096 assignable codes in, the, uh, in this transponder system. And that dates back to, I think that was in the 50s when that started. Is that they, what they mean by the 4096 transponder? Yeah, 4096 transponder. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's how it came about. That's awesome. how it came about. Now, when, when, the, when it started... We didn't have 4096 airplanes in the sky at any one time, so there were plenty of codes and it wasn't a problem. Today, this is a limitation. Uh, air traffic control has to change your codes as you move from one part of the country to another. I can assign 3456 to somebody on the East Coast and 3456 to somebody on the West Coast, and they won't be confused. But we can't have somebody flying across the entire country on 3456 because then you might end up with a conflict. The code is transmitted. Now, this is where it gets techy. Uh, the code is transmitted by amplitude modulation data transmission double sideband without a modulating subcarrier. What does all that mean? Carl, that goes into a separate class in radio modulation techniques. Again, this was for people in radio, but that's what the kind of thing that's the kind of thing we want to know. 
how is the radio technology being used? It's an it's a modulated amplitude. It's a excuse me, it's a amplitude modulated signal that's using pulse code modulation to encode these bits. And you can look up those things. It's not a terribly deep subject, but it's nice to know how the technology works. It's also nice to know the limitations. And let me just mention that. We've already mentioned that you can only have 4096 codes. That, is, that isn't enough. But think about the, what we're telling air traffic control. We say 3456 is my squawk code. That doesn't tell them a whole lot. It tells me who I am, but it doesn't tell what kind of airplane I'm flying, where am I headed, uh, what altitude am I at. All that's missing. Well, what do you do then? Well, they came up with this thing called Mode C. Mode C, as we know, or I hope we know, adds altitude reporting. So not only am I sending back the 3456 squawk code, I'm now encoding additional bits of information to tell air traffic control my altitude. This is a rich piece of information because air, air traffic control separates aircraft by altitude. That's a big part of it. We don't want two airplanes crashing into each other. At least I don't. I don't know about you. It's a bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so they separate them by putting them at different altitudes. And to verify that, they look at what the transponder is reporting as the altitude. Before that, they would ask the pilots to report their altitude. Back in the good old days, which are way before I was born, pilots would report position and altitude verbally on the radio. You can just imagine what the chaos that would ensue today if the thousands of airplanes out there were reporting their positions and altitudes. Interestingly enough, you know, some folks know I work for the airlines, and uh, that's how we report our positions over the water. There is no radar. That's right. I have to tell them my altitude, my speed, and when yep. I'll be at the next point. You are, you are the human mode C over the, over the ocean. Over the years, mode S was added. Mode S allows, the, again, more bits of data were included, and uh, uh, this is a 24-bit encoded, I'm sorry, 112 bits of data total, including 24 bits for the aircraft identification. So now, instead of sending uh, the 3456, which the air traffic control system has to correlate with your mm -hmm. tail number, now with mode S, we just send the tail number in the transmission. So every time the airplane is uh, pinged with an echo, um, pinged, pinged with a radar wave, it echoes back that wave and 112 bits of data, including the squawk code and the airplane's tail number and the altitude, and I, there may be some other things in there. But now we have a much richer system. Making it available to separate people, uh, or bring them closer together, I should say. Their, their separations uh, standards are no longer 2,000 feet. They might be a thousand feet. Right, because now every airplane is reporting its altitude. And because we have that um, every two-year check on the transponder's altitude encoding accuracy, mm -hmm. uh, air traffic control has a certain amount of confidence that your airplane is where it says it is, plus or minus some, some known factor of error, which is less than a thousand feet, and therefore we can separate by a thousand feet. Interesting. So now we have all this information. You think, uh, you know, what else could we get out of this? Well, we don't have in the Mode S transponder the exact latitude and longitude of the airplane. We know approximately where it is by virtue of the radar echo. And the radar echo has, is pretty good. It's been around for a long time. But I think today we know it's not nearly as accurate as GPS. So if we could just extend what we're sending, now what we're sending is sometimes called a squitter. If we could extend the squitter, we would have extended squitter. And this should resonate with you. It's what ADSB is based on, the 1090 ES or 1090 extended squitter. Now you understand what that's from. It's the 1090 megahertz response from a transponder with the mode S extended out beyond the original 112 bits. So now we can tell air traffic control <clears throat> our call sign, or our tail number, latitude, longitude, and altitude. So that's our position in three dimensions. What direction we're heading, 
how fast we're going, where we're going, and we could also include, and I think ADSB allows for this, safety equipment on board, any other operational data or messages that they define in the system. So now we've got communication capability that is almost to the beginning of text messaging from uh, 10 years ago or 15 years ago, but we're getting there. So, and that's what they mean by ADSB, the ADSB ADS, broadcast, right? ADSB is automated surveillance dependent broadcast. And I have a slide on that in my presentation as to what each of those letters means. And you're going to get it now. It's automatic because messages are sent out without interrogation. In the ADSB system, we don't wait for the radar pulse. We just keep sending them automatically. It is dependent because the position and our position and velocity are derived from GPS. So we are dependent on a GPS position source. It's surveillance because that's what air traffic controls does. They surveil the skies to see where everybody is. And it's broadcast based because we are not sending our information to an individual receiver. We are broadcasting it out for everybody. So now we have basically it's like text messaging all the time saying, this is where I am, this is where I am, I'm broadcasting it out, this right. information. Because there's a lot, a lot in there, you know, with the extended squitter, with the, uh, the inf information that I would want to see as an air traffic control and also want to see as another aircraft out there. So how would I, as an airplane, is, that, is this ADSB have anything to do with me being able to see other planes out there? It sure does. Not... In your airplane, you can receive the ADSB broadcasts from other airplanes that are within range. So what is the range of an ADSB transmitter on an airplane? Well, you might have a 10 or 15 watt transmitter or in some light sports, it might only be five watts. And your range might be 30, 50, on a good day, maybe 70 miles. But there's no reason why ground stations can't pick those signals up and repeat them. And that's the ground-based ADSB network that the FAA has built thanks to your tax dollars and mine I contributed to. <laughs> so this network, they can actually tell what's happening with somebody in San Francisco and if yep. I'm in New York. Yep. So yep. you can watch the whole system. You can watch the entire world. The entire world. Because this is not just a U.S.-based system. Let me ask you this. What if I'm an airplane over the ocean like I do? Is there any way to transmit that information to, to piggyback? And I, I, I guess this is, I'm, I'm throwing this out there if, if you know it or not. But they, that, that technology is out there where they can actually transmit from one airplane to the next. And then that information is actually just like packets of information on the Internet sent all the way over to an air traffic control facility that then transmits it over the ground to another facility, and everybody knows where you are. My I'm not an expert on overseas, um, the overseas portion of ADSB, but my understanding is it is satellite-based, and the satellites will pick it up and repeat it. Is that and, right? And you can do that, but also from peer to peer. Oh, it so will go peer to peer. Peer to peer is the oh, other that's part terrific. of that. No, I didn't know that. And, and it's interesting too is that, uh, and, and those technologies I guess are not being used on a, on a you know a common basis. Um, but this ADSB is incredible because it's not just information about other airplanes. They also have some other information, don't they? Yeah, ADSB is now being put into airport vehicles mm -hmm. so that uh, air traffic control can see the airport truck, uh, see its position on the airport, mm -hmm. and monitor that. And there's no reason why they can't use ADSB to send out informational messages such as weather reports or bulletins about um, air airport closures or runway closures or anything like that, what we would call NOTAMs, and the reason why that can't be put out over the ADSB system. So it's, it's like text messaging in that we now have the capability to send any kind of data, although it is broadcast, where we think of text messaging as one-to-one, -one, this is broadcast. So you can actually get, say, a, at an airport, you could get the, the TAF, maybe, or the, you can get the METAR. Yeah, I mean, that's weather data is an important part of ADSB. It is being broadcast out to the airplanes, just as the airplane is broadcasting information about itself. So it is a two-way system, and we, we call them ADSB and AD... We call, let's try that one again. We call them ADSB in and ADSB out. ADSB out is what comes out of the airplane, and the most important part is my tail number, my latitude and longitude, my altitude, 
my speed and direction. Those are the key things that come out of my ADSB transponder. What I want to receive on my ADSB in capability is information that's useful to me as a pilot. Num number one, other air traffic in the air around me. So I'm going to receive it from other airplanes directly, and I'm going to receive it from the ground station as well. Uh, because there are some airplanes that are not equipped with ADSB, I should say. There are some aircraft. We, uh, for example, gliders that do not have electrical systems are not required to carry ADSB. But their reflections are picked up on radar, and that could be transmitted by ADSB. It's not currently, but it could be in the future. Um, what's another example of something that you'd pick up? Um, Oh, and an airplane flying with an old-fashioned transponder and a squawk code could be picked up and sent out on ADSB, so that ADSB in equipped airplanes could see that on their on their screens. Yeah. Also, weather would be weather, yeah, right. would be the second most important thing after air traffic. So there's other things in this ADS uh, system, like some commercial type of products too, that are that they're allowed, like ADSC. You know, with the and those type of systems where. They'll allow you to com even communicate over the, the transport. It was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, there was an old system. And I talked about this in my presentation. In, in private, I'm in the world of personal and private aviation and sport aviation where we don't encounter something called ACARS. But, Carl, you're in the airline world where ACARS lives. And for those who don't know, ACARS is the aeronautical, I'm sorry, aircraft communication addressing and reporting system. It dates back to July of 1978. It's based on, again, AM. It's in the 130 megahertz range using uh, medium shift keying modulation, uh, for those who are interested. It's a, it's a type of continuous phase frequency shift keying over amplitude modulation that was developed in the 50s and 60s. So it's a fairly old type of modulations. But anyway, ACARS is used for company to airplane, airplane to company. It's a little bit old, but it does send text data very slowly. And uh, is that right? Yes, and it, it's great. It also can uh, be incorporated through air traffic control to get clearances too. Oh, okay. And uh, over great. the A cars, and uh, you know, we, we talk about the ADSC, which is you know, you know beyond the scope of what we're talking about here. But uh, that's a contract. ADSC is contract where you can actually have a. Uh, a, an organization that is uh, like Air Inc. that will provide you with the communication to air traffic control to, for clearances. And I think that's pretty wild. As a matter of fact, just to get a little beyond this, I have a friend of mine that, that actually did the first, what's called CPDLC, Controller Pilot Data Link, through using ADSC, oh and took off. He w went off the gate, got right. his clearance, took off and landed, never talked to anybody. It, it was actually down in Brazil. And I've often thought there's no reason we shouldn't get to that point. And when I, I when, cool. when you're flying instruments and a, and the controller says uh, November one two three four, uh, you know, turn twenty degrees left, we really don't need a voice radio to do that. There's no reason why he can't send me a text message through some technology that says turn twenty degrees left. All I have to do is push a button that does two things: acknowledges that I've received the instruction and tells my autopilot to turn 20 degrees left. And that, that technology is out there. As a matter of fact, I use it at work, but it's also, uh, it can be installed in general aviation aircraft where you can get your clearances right on, and that obviously it's a little bit expensive to do, but you can put them in a GA aircraft. The GA aircraft you see with it, though, are going to be like the jets that you yeah, see. Yeah, they're at the upper it's level. Not, well, we're not there yet. ADS-B was expensive at one oh, point. Oh, yeah. And, and we thought, oh, my God, this is gonna, there's no way we could comply with all this. And but it's coming it's, down. Oh, it's yeah. Down. It's coming way down. Way so, down. And, and, you know, well, not to get too far off the point, but we should talk about those costs, too, because I think uh, you've actually started looking at installing that on some of the aircraft you have. Actually, I've uh, more than looking at it, on uh, one of my aircraft uh, in my my small fleet of two <laughs> <laughs> fleet of two I like my that. fleet of two uh, one of them is a weight shift control light sport trike uh, for those who don't have the mental uh, image think of a flying motorcycle <laughs> <laughs> or for those who know what a hang glider is think of a powered hang glider so you put adsb into something like that i did i had to because and i live near uh, the philadelphia class bravo airspace 
Uh, I fly under the airspace on a daily basis, and since that's an area where a transponder is required, it's also an area where ADS-B out is required. So I had to find a solution that would fit in a 600-pound motorcycle, flying <laughs> motorcycle, um, not use much power, and not break the bank. So I used, is it okay to mention the, sure. okay, I used the U-Avionics uh, Echo UAT. Now, UAT stands for Universal Access Transceiver or Transponder. It works on a different frequency. It's at 978 megahertz. Mm -hmm. It's a simpler, less expensive system. It was, it was designed for drones, for, for unmanned aerial systems. But there are UA, uh, UAT transponders for light sport and experimental aircraft, which are now in the $1,400 range and probably coming down. But I, I, mine was in the $1,400 range last summer at Oshkosh. I bought one. I put it into the light sport uh, trike, as it's called, um, <clears throat> last fall. I brought it. I then taxied over to the electronics shop at my airport. They did a test on it, to, gave me the, the seal of approval, and I'm good to go with ADSB out for so, $1,400. So why did you do it now? I'm looking at my calendar. Yeah, he's looking at his calendar. I'm doing it now because of... Uh, all airplanes that operate in areas that currently require transponders are required to have ADSB out reporting by January 1st, 2020. The deadline's ticking, folks. It, it is ticking, but there's a lot of solutions out there. Remember the days when we talked about it being like $10,000 and and now we're seeing that they've really come down yeah. in price. And when I when I went to the Garmin booth 2 years ago and asked them about ADSB solutions in my at my uh type of airplane, they were at about $4,500, which was considered very good at that point. Wow. So $4,500 down to $1,400. Now, there was labor. I did it myself, so um, I paid myself handsomely. Zero. Zero. <laughs> <laughs> but it, I would say it took maybe six to eight hours to plan the installation, verify it with the manufacturer of the aircraft that it wouldn't, there wouldn't be any problems or conflicts, and then go ahead and implement it. And just a, a side note on UAvionics, make sure you go back to the Sebring episode if you want to listen to the folks at UAvionics and talk talks about installing it. Great people. They do. They have a number of solutions. Their little sol their solution for drones. I, I mean, it's it'll fit easily in one hand. It's it's about the size of a cigarette lighter. Mm -hmm. uh, or, uh, yeah, it's like a tiny a little thing. And, and that's where they specialize. So there's a range of solutions out there depending on what you need. Yeah, the microelectronics are micro, that's for sure, and they, they've done a great job. But getting back to the, the transponder. Yeah, no, I want to get, I want to talk about just one thing on oh, okay. both ADSB and ACARS. We talked about ADSB is a system where airplanes can send information, broadcast it out about their position and so forth. And ACARS is a two-way communication between airplanes and the ground. Both of these systems are broadcast, are, are, they use radio, so they're out there, they're broadcasting. We as amateurs, just as amateur hobbyists, can buy equipment to listen to these broadcasts. That's a, this is a fascinating aspect of this. Mm. You can buy equipment for at home for not much money to receive ADSB broadcasts from the airplanes flying over your house and in your area, and also to pick up the ACARS communication back and forth between airplanes and companies or between air, air, uh, airplanes and air traffic control. And you can, the, code, uh, the, the data is digitally encoded, but there's software out there for hobbyists, free software, to decode the messages and listen in on what's going on. Wow. Kind of scary. A little bit. If you want to be private, I wouldn't go up in an airplane these days. Yeah, I definitely not talk about it over the airplane. That's for sure. Any private conversations. But 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 let me let me just quick take it one more step to really floor people. If that data is out there and anybody can receive it and decode it, then we can share it. And there are networks set up on the internet where this data is shared. So now you don't even need the radio equipment. You can just go on websites and really? look at ADSB wow. maps. Yep. Uh, I think uh, one of the examples, uh, well, I see it on everybody's phone, that Flight Tracker 24, I think it is, or yep. Flight Radar 24. That's an example That's of an that. That's an example. And FlightAware, and there are 
dozens. Now, yeah. they used to get their information from air traffic control, but now that all of this stuff is broadcast, these networks have volunteers who have receiving points, receiving stations set up that receive the information off the airplanes, out of the air, and put them onto the internet and share it. So yep. just to understand, so somebody who sends an ACAR message to an American Airlines flight, that can be intercepted and decoded? It and is being routinely intercepted and decoded, yes. i got to see this. but that <laughs> <laughs> So that's kind of scary, I guess, from a security standpoint when they're, uh, you know, things are sent over ACARs. Well, it's a little hard to understand what the message means because the, air, uh, the airline or the airplane pilots may use their own abbreviations there in their own private encoding as to what things mean so we might be able to see the digits in the and the letters and the numerals but we might not know what it means so jim i'm going to go back to work and tell everybody make sure that you don't send personal messages to your dispatcher because there's people out there that are reading those messages when you are transmitting over radio you are transmitting over radio. I don't know how else to explain it. <laughs> it's out there over the world. That's for sure. So, uh, Jim, tell us a little bit more about transponders before we, we close out here after about five, ten minutes. What else do we have as far as your presentation for us as pilots that would be really cool and interesting to know? Oh, let's see. Uh, we talked about the encoding, and we talked about the modulation technique. We talked about it being a responder. Oh, this, is, this may help people. We talk about ADSB as being a squitter system. I think that term "extended squitter" gets thrown a lot, thrown around a lot in the press. And we also know that we are told to squawk a squawk code, but not everybody recognizes the difference between a squitter and a squawk. And those are funny words that we don't. Those are funny words. They are funny words. Yeah. Next time you're on a bus, ask someone the difference between a squitter and a squawk. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so I. Um, I ask people in my presentation, do you know the difference between a squitter and a squawk? And most people don't. A squawk is a response. So when you're, when you're using a transponder that squawks, it is quiet, silent, until it is interrogated and then it responds. ADSB is a squitter system where it periodically transmits whether someone is interrogating it or not. That's the 1090ES system. Interestingly, the 978 UAT system, the other ADSB system, is a squawk-based system. What it does is it listens for your ordinary mode C altitude, altitude encoding transponder to, res to respond to radar, and then it does its ADSB broadcast. So it is silent until asked, therefore it's a squawk system, and when you think about the energy requirements of a battery-powered drone, that's why they want to use a squawk-based system and not a squitter-based system. That makes sense because they're using a lot of power there. Gosh, this is pretty amazing stuff. Uh, it, well, it really is. I think this is, this is cool. Um, we uh, running a little short on time. Is there anything else that, that you want to tell us about transponders before we move on to uh, closing out here? I know there's a couple more things I think we had. But that squitter and, and squawk thing I think is awesome. I want to tell my friends about that. The um, For those of you who have seen ForeFlight or FlyQ or any of the other popular iPad tablet apps that show you all the ADSB traffic in the airplane, you can also use those on the ground. You can receive the data from ground-based data sources, or you can go to websites, or as you mentioned, some of the apps that you'll have on a phone-sized device to do that. And... Um, you know, I just want everybody to realize that these are all one in the same system, sharing the same information. And sometimes we think of them as uh, two different things. You know, that seeing traffic in an airplane is different from what I see on the ground. No, it's all, it's all now merging into one system. So it's an interesting um, aspect that you may not have thought of. Um, I don't know what else. So with that said, is yeah. there any way we, you could share some of those websites with us and we can put in the show notes? Yeah, talking I'll, about? I'll give, give them to you, and we can Great. put them into so the show notes. I, I know some of them, but I, I notice in my seminars when I do this live, and I mention a few of them, hands go up, and everybody says, oh, what about this one? And what right, about that? Everybody's right. got their own favorites. Yeah. Yep. It's never-ending. Yep. 
It's really amazing how many folks are out there. I'd love to hear back from some of our audience as far as who's into amateur radio. I know we have a lot of friends that, that absolutely enjoy it. Uh, we'd be remiss not to even mention the fact that uh, if you're thinking about getting into ham radio or understanding some of the things we're talking about more, you know, maybe you could mention a website or something sure. they could go to where they could maybe start learning about amateur radio. I, inter- this is an interesting point. Amateur radio developed... APRS, the Automatic Position Reporting System, more than 20 years ago, it might be 25 years ago, long before ADSB came along, amateurs had APRS. The Automatic Position Reporting System is a system where we connect GPSs to our ham radios and we report our positions. Wow. Yep, we had this long before aviation had it. And so we do take credit for that. But but ham radio people are experimenters and hobbyists, so they tinker with these things. They do tinker, and then uh, obviously it takes a long time to get something certified, doesn't it? You're right. This is non-certified yeah. stuff. <laughs> so. um, but in answer to your question, for those who are interested in diving more deeply into radio and radio technologies, start with ARRL.org the American Radio Relay League, ARRL.org. That's the National Association for Amateur Radio in this country. And there are links to local clubs and online resources and tutorials and books and all the usual stuff. Um, Tremendous, I would say the biggest resource of the Association for Amateur Radio are the members. You go to a club meeting and you meet people who have been involved in radio all their lives. A lot of people in the radio and television industry mm-hmm. do this as a hobby. And you pick their brains and they know a lot more than I do. Right. Well, that's interesting. And I know that those pilots listening now are, are we're all geeks and we're all into technology. And I really would encourage you to take a look at that and learn something new, just like getting another rating. That's for sure. Yep. I mean, I like to learn more and more about aviation and I and the radio people like to learn about aviation just as we in aviation like to learn more about the tools we use and so it's good for us to understand more in depth how our radio technologies work before we close out is there anything else you wanted to mention to us maybe possibly where they might be able to hear you talk about this in a seminar because there's certain things we can't do on radio we can't show them pictures so do you think you'll be doing some more I will. I will probably be doing these presentations at other local radio clubs in the Philadelphia area that's where I um, live and um, you know I'm pilot Jim G on Twitter um, we don't have anything currently scheduled these are very visual we have lots of slides and diagrams and formulas yes there's math <laughs> <laughs> math in public in public that's scary <laughs> um, but we're all geeks we like math so um, you know send me shoot me a note and we'll try to let you know when one of these presentations is scheduled um, there's no I may talk about aviation maintenance records, Carl, hint, 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 on a future episode of yes. Stuck Mike, but that's that's a different subject, but that'll also be interesting. Yeah, as a matter of fact, just that's a good tease. I'm glad you said that. Upcoming in another episode, we're going to talk about you as a pilot doing maintenance on aircraft and also limitations and what you might know and what you should know about doing maintenance on an aircraft. It's, it's uh, a lot of folks do maintenance as owners, but uh, pilots can do maintenance. They can. I can. You can. can. Even on my aircraft that I don't own. Right. So we don't know, but we're going to, that's our tease. And we're going to find out more about that. I'm going to give you one more tease. One more tease. One more tease. Is the owner responsible for the maintenance records? Ah. Absolutely. Does the owner know how to maintain the maintenance records? Probably not. <laughs> and that's a great tease because you're going to learn a few things. And uh, and he's been doing this for a while, has maintained his own aircraft for quite some time, Jim, right? From, a for couple, years. A couple of years. No, yeah. just a few years. I'm, yeah, I'm relatively, so relatively new at it, but a few years. Yeah, but he's uh, it does a great job and does a great presentation on it, so you got to check it out. Uh, Jim, this has been great having you come here and talk to us here. I'm just so thrilled that you and I could get together in the same room at the same time I know, and this is do awesome. this in person instead of over Skype. It's it, so much better. It is so much better. It's What better place than an airport like Lakeland Airport now that we're located here? Exactly. And uh, we've been having a lot of fun. Don't forget to uh, visit uh, flysnf.org. 
and uh, go right. check out some of the things on that website, especially if you're looking at getting into one of these uh, venues uh, and watching the air show from a really interesting perspective. Well, we should we should put a, a plug out there. Speaking of combining radio and aviation, we should put a plug out there for Sun and Fun Radio. And for Sun and Fun Radio, correct. And as you know, we're, uh, we'll be on Sun and Fun Radio every day. Uh, uh, I will be on the 11... Uh, a.m. shift till the air show. So every day you'll hear us. Don't forget to listen on liveatc.net slash SNF. Talk about streaming. It's streaming right now. There you go. Interviews from last year and other interviews we've done throughout the year. Yep. And we love volunteering for Sun and Fun Radio. As you know, all the different podcasters and other people into radio and television come and they help out and do a great job at Sun and Fun. So we really appreciate Sun and, Sun and, Fun, too. Sun and Fun Radio is a big ambassador for Sun and Fun. They truly are. And, and hopefully Jim will be volunteering and helping us out again well the, i'm, I'm sort station. of committed to the hospitality oh, group this yeah, year <laughs> speaking of which if you uh are know another language or something else is your native language uh, uh there's a hospitality tent that uh has uh people oh, that speak other languages yep there's an international international uh welcome tent for folks from all over the world and i i i speak halting French and I volunteered to work there one year and I found out that I was not quite up to the task. <laughs> <laughs> and well, I'm hopefully we'll have my, my wife working the booth this year. Of course, she grew up in, in Italy and, and is, is fluent in Italian. And some of those people out there that have grown up in other countries, you know, if yeah. you're fluent, come by and help out. I mean, that's one of those examples of where you can help out. At Sun and Fun. It just, it's not just airplanes. No, you, you, you never know. You think you can't contribute much, and we'll find something for you to do. <laughs> well, Jim, this has been great, and it's been terrific uh, meeting with you today and also having you on the other episodes, and hopefully we'll see you soon, and we'll be obviously talking about uh, some more things like maintenance, aircraft maintenance, et cetera. If they want to find you, of course, it's on Twitter, PilotJimG, at uh, PilotJimG on Twitter. And, uh, and we'll definitely uh, talk to you again in, in a future episode. So that's for sure. All right, Carl. Always good to be on the Stuck Mike Avcast. <laughs> well, thanks so much. And, folks, thanks for listening. Don't forget to go out to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash stuckmikeavcast. Send us some feedback. And uh, if you want to know what events we have coming up, you can find those uh, right there on the Facebook page. And don't forget, again, to uh, go visit the sponsors, Aviation Careers Podcast, scholarships, and also you know, coaching and uh, a free podcast about your and your questions answered about all aviation careers from general aviation to airlines. Thanks so much. Fly safe. Talk to you next episode. You've been listening to the Stuck Mike Abcast. Members of the Stuck Mike Abcast may receive compensation for products or services mentioned during the podcast. Compensation may be received in the form of, but not limited to, referral commissions, free products or service trials. Our opinions and views are never influenced by any compensation, and you should always perform your own due diligence before purchasing any products or services mentioned during the show. The Stuck Mike Avcast is an aviation podcast and a Valeri Aviation Corporation production.